I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to another edition of the Lost for Words DFS podcast. It is the first major championship of 2022 and Matt Vincenzi and I's first major championship preview for the podcast. Matt, welcome along. Hey Tom, I uh, hope you enjoyed your vacation. I'm excited for the for the first major of the season for us. Uh, we need a big week here. We do, we do. It's been, um, it's been a tough spell, right? I think, I think we've always had a decent uh, strategy, especially in the DraftKings sector and you know, you've had some really close calls with bets. I know you've had Jason Day at Pebble and uh, Fratelli, obviously, last week as well. So a couple of really tough uh, losses there. But, um, you know, I had that kind of golden stretch of three events where you think, you think you're think you on top of the world and all of a sudden nothing's happened since. And uh, it's just golf, right? It's just something we get used to. Um, doesn't particularly help that the majors seem to be the hardest thing to ever get right. Um, but more fun to break it down and... Uh, Plenty to look forward to. Yeah, the majors are tough, but you know what? Um, I like doing the show because it really helps me with my process, both betting and DFS. And I'm, I've been looking forward all week to kind of talk through this board with you, try to figure out how we can make sense of it. Yeah, and I, th- I think the one thing I do like about the Masters is there's a pretty definitive cutoff of people that can and can't win. So I think, you know, I, I did my betting piece for Checker earlier and, and I'm pretty comfortable that all the guys I put up there can at least contend. I think one of them is probably more of a top 10 uh, shout and see with Kim, who I'm sure we'll come on to later. But, you know, I think I think it's one of those ones where you, you don't want to take too many guys from the very top of the board, but you also can't stray too far away from the kind of... I've probably There's probably a pool of maybe 25 guys, I think, that can realistically win. Um, and, and that's kind of just plucking a, a number out of thin air, really. But I, I can't imagine there's many more than that. Um, before you start to sort of question their winning credentials. Yeah, I, you got to be top 30 in the world pretty much. But I also think for DraftKings, it makes it a little tougher just because there's no, I mean, there's going to be some pivot plays that we'll talk about, but it seems like ownership is, is pretty much divided, like we said, into those 30, 25 guys. And all the ownership is like everyone's 15 to 20% of that higher range. And it's just kind of, it's tough to differentiate yourself in my opinion, this week. So we're going to find some creative ways to do so. Yeah, and I think, I think I've think i sort of heard other people say this, maybe, in, uh, you know, Pat Mayo or someone like that, that there's not the, the guy in the kind of 6K range that stands out like a Corey Connors did a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it, and that's where you're getting tough. I mean, I, I'm trying to avoid that range as much as I can, but then again, you're, you're starting to get into Chalk City. Um, it's interesting you said there about sort of like the top 30 in the world basically to, to kind of win here and that's true um another thing that i kind of found was that you basically had to have had um you know a first or a second in a major championship before actually winning the masters um so of the last 10 winners it's only been danny willett that hasn't had a win or a runner-up finish uh, in a major championship and he was sixth at the open championship the year before so it's not like he wasn't uh, experienced i think he was second after 36 holes there as well um and even if you go i mean tiger obviously didn't do that on the first time so it's eight of the last 10 before they won their first green jacket and tiger was obviously an amateur before all of those masters uh before all of those majors before the masters win so um you know it's one of those ones where you think you want to take a long shot and you think you want to take a guy but realistically you probably need people that have that have gone close in those major championships because 
although I do think you can get some outsiders play well here, I don't think you can get over that line. I mean, we, I always think back to kind of like when people tell me that a debutant can't win, I think about how close Jonas Blixed went. Like, you know, it, it, you can contend, right? And, you know, Thomas Peters has been up there, Thorvion Jonasson. And interestingly enough, I've just compiled a list of long shots that finish inside the top 10 each year, going back to 2012, just to kind of get an idea of who might be a good top 10 bet, you know, what sort of odds. So, Will Zalasaurus last year, obviously, was 125 to 1 outright. He finished second. 2020, Dylan Fratelli was 250 to 1 outright. He was fifth. CT Pan was 500 to 1. He was seventh. And Corey Connors was inside the top 10 as well. He was 150 to 1. Webb Simpson was 100 to 1 in 2019. He was fifth. Cameron Smith was 150 to 1 in 2018. He was fifth. Kevin Chappell and Ryan Moore were both 250 to 1 and 120 to 1. They both had top 10s in 2017. Even 2016, Lee Westwood, second, was 175 to 1. JB Holmes was fourth, 100 to 1. Fitz, 175 times in seventh, and Soren Kjelsen, seventh, 500 to 1. It goes on like that. We've had Charlie Hoffman, Jonas Blix, as I mentioned earlier, John Sendon, Kevin Stadler. Just people that you just couldn't ever anticipate them finishing that high up on the leaderboard, but it does happen. I think, I think to your point earlier, that you do have to get creative with those guys, and you're going to have to take chances. I think it's an easier cut to make than normal, so I think there's, there's less less risk in a player, you know, there's certainly players down that bottom port of the leaderboard that you can think can get through to the weekend, and we just hope that they have a good weekend. Right, so, I mean, in terms of DFS, long story short here is that, you you know, you start thinking about, I, I need guys to put in my lineup who have played well at the Masters and are in good form, and all these things that are trends that apply to guys who can actually win, but that doesn't mean that a guy who's in the high six, low sevens can't come in the top five it just means they're unlikely to win so i mean these guys can still pay off their prices very easily um so i think it's a good reminder not to get scared off by kind of all these trends and these things that a lot of us get stuck on when it comes to augusta yeah i think i think in just my trends are all kind of in that article especially are just all focused on betting winners right and i think it's it's kind of led me down a path of thinking of who could perform and then how that relates you know there is crossover obviously in DraftKings as well and I also think that I looked over that and among the last 10 winners, the average amount of Masters starts was 6.1. And that includes Sergio, who took 19 before he won, and Spieth and Willett, who won on their second start. So, again, there's probably some players out there that have maybe played it four or five times that, that haven't got the results you'd expect that maybe can just uh, turn it on on their sixth or seventh try. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all, all great points. Um ready to get into it huh yeah absolutely let's let's start at the top of the board then so um different name at the top for the first time in a little while scotty scheffler here at eleven thousand. john rahm at ten thousand eight hundred. dj at ten thousand five hundred. this is a lot longer list than normal so i'm gonna probably lose my breath justin thomas at ten thousand three hundred. colin morikara at ten thousand two hundred. victor hovland at ten thousand one hundred. and rory mcelroy at ten thousand flat a um, lot of players there above the 10k range, more than normal, um, which you know is to be expected considering the field and the size of it and things like that. Who would you plant your flag on as, as the main guy you're targeting this range this week? All right, so let me start by saying that um, when we talk about ownership percentage today, I it is early in the week, but I do think the sample size might be um, 
pretty useful considering that these the price has been out for a while now. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are generating lineups and and you know mess they've been messing around with it, especially uh, people who you know don't play as much and stuff. They I don't think they were too worried about the Valero Texas Open. So a lot of people have been paying attention to this stuff. So I do think it's somewhat um, interesting. And all seven of those guys you mentioned um, look like they're above ten percent. So. No one's going completely unknown from this range, and you know. All right, so I'll start with who I like. I'll go. I'm, I'm going to go John Rahm here um, at eight. He, he's around 19% right now, which is a little bit less than I expected. Um, in terms of betting, it seems like he's going a little bit under the radar, and I know his price is pretty much unbettable. But if you look at his form here, I mean, he's just an automatic top, top 10. Uh, top 10 in his last four starts. I know he's been playing poorly this year, and I know I keep going back to him on DraftKings. And but, but the thing is, he just—he's the guy I can trust up here. Um, and uh, the ball striking is still there, and I think the putting and short game kind of resets this week in terms of you know those firm, fast conditions, the undulating greens. I think he he excels in those types of uh, situations. So I'm I'm probably gonna go there again. Yep, four straight top tens at Augusta after finishing. I think it was 27th on his debut. So, um, like you say, just trustworthy. And I think the best thing about the putting with John Rahm this week is that everybody's going to struggle on the greens. Like, there's going to be some three parts. They're going to get faster. And he's had a little bit of time to work on it. And I can't remember exactly how well he putted the match players away. But I think it there maybe should have been some signs of some improvement there. So, um you just don't know. I mean, you, you really, there's, there's so many unknowns with, with players like this when they're going to turn it on. I mean, John Rahm's not going to struggle with his putter for the whole year, right? It's, it's going to come good at some point. It's whether it comes good at the majors that that we have to anticipate. Um, I have been basically saying that Scotty Scheffler's most likely winner of the Masters for three or four weeks now. And, and a lot of my theory on that was that Ted Scott was going to be such a big help. Like he'd already had those 19th and 18th place finishes. He's now got a guy that's won twice on the bag. And then I was sitting there late last night and I was trying to sort of really think about whether I could see him winning the major on his first start as world number one. Right off the bat of four, well, that would make it, what, four wins um, on the PGA Tour this season. Um, just just a lot of pressure. And I think what that did is actually, with him and John Rahm always being spoken about, um, Tiger obviously being a massive story I think that alleviates a little bit of the pressure of Justin Thomas and when I apply all that theory to um, Scotty Scheffler with Ted Scott why am I not applying that same theory with Bones uh, being on Justin Thomas's bag I mean if, if, if Bones is worth half a shot around or a shot around at the very best um, that could really propel Thomas forward so I actually think Thomas is my main guy here and I know he's probably going to be quite popular at 10-3 because he's, he's quite a big discount on, on John Rahm and Scheffler and even a little bit on DJ, but um, I really can trust him, I think. Yeah, I, I anticipate he's going to be the highest-owned guy. He's yeah. looking like the only one who's over 20% slightly. Um, with that being said, I think it's still close enough with all these other guys that it shouldn't really prohibit anyone from playing him. If you think he's a guy who's going to win, then, then you play him and, and so be it. And obviously, I can see the case. Uh, I can see... You know, I, I think I've fed him at the Masters the last two years. I'm not this year because, you know, the last couple of years we've been getting 20-to-1s on him. And I think the lack of clear-cut favorite here this week has kind of um, prevented him from drifting to where I'd like him to drift to. So um, so I won't get there, but I'm going to take a stand against him. And it's not because I don't I don't like his chances here. I do. I just think, um, you know, going on a Ram who is obviously just a 
tailor-made fit for this course. It's just a perfect a perfect setup. He's played so well here. Um, and JT, you know, he's played well here, but it seems like he's had opportunities that he just hasn't been able to capitalize on in these majors since he won in 2017. And uh, I don't I don't really trust him. And I think I'm going to take a, the slight discount, and, uh, you know, it's going to be more expensive to play around. But that's who I'm going to play. In terms of Scheffler, I have no interest. If he does well this week, I'm having a horrible week. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think I'll have you, nothing. I think you do have to take those stands right eventually. And it, it's interesting you say that, like, you do have to just play the guys that you think can get a win. And, and, and I was very much in the same camp with you, Justin Thomas. And, and the last two years, people have been putting him up at 20 to 1. I've been saying that was too short. And all of a sudden, I'm taking him here at 14 to 1. And I think, I think what it was is when I was looking at kind of like strokes gain data over the last, you know, what, since the start of the year, basically. He just, you know, because him and Rama got glaring putting weaknesses. You know, um, Morikawa has putting weaknesses. Victor Hovland has a really glaring um, around the green weakness. And I just thought that Thomas, in terms of everything else, was the most balanced. His around the green game was quite tidy. His tee green game was obviously brilliant. Um, and his putting just wasn't as dangerous um, as Rahm's. You know, it was still 35th out of, what, 90 players in the field. It wasn't great. Um, but I just thought there was something there. So I, I will take Thomas and I'll go with him and and hope that it is the year that he does get over the line. But um, it's interesting now because Dustin Johnson's there. I think he's playing a little bit better than people are giving him credit for. Um, I know he checked out in the um, third and fourth place playoff against Corey Connors. Well, that's that's kind of what I imagine happened. Um, and then you've got Colin Morikow and Victor Hovland that, that people would have been all over probably three or four weeks ago. And then probably it just feels like they're going slightly away from them. I think everyone kind of buys into the noise that Victor Hovland can't chip here and you know at some point that's not going to be an issue because he's just going to ball strike immaculately so it's really hard to know whether he can overcome that and Morikawa can you know find a putting stroke while Dustin Johnson's now coming back without the added pressure of being a defending champion so there's three really good storylines there that I think are quite interesting yeah and you know there's a big game theory question that we need to answer here because you talked earlier about the how unpredictable that 6k range is this week we have no idea where to go there's no real safe options but with this type of field and all the uh, how top heavy it is i think it, you're, you're going to need to double up at least from above 9400 so you know who do you you got to play probably two guys from up here and then you got to probably dip low i'd say pro- probably the 6ks if not maybe 7100 but it, it creates it's a tough situation so i'm definitely going to double up in most cases up here and the guy that i will be doubling up with more than likely is victor hovland um a couple things obviously are a major major problem with that right his the short game you know it's, i'm not the first person not the last person who's going to say it the chipping is worrisome around here you can't chip poorly and get away with it at augusta it just it's not going to happen uh and then also another worrisome thing is the trend that you mentioned with you know these guys who win here um have had a, a previous second place or first place in a major which he obviously doesn't have the best he's had is 12th at the at the open so with that being said i think if there was ever a time to kind of buck these trends and and it seems like the last couple of years is when it's happening right when morikawa won the open how many trends did he buck and i think with this one it's just pure talent play he's his game is perfect for this place with the exception of the around the green stuff, um, he can ball strike his way to a to a great finish. I mean, Tiger ninety seven. If you think about it like that, I just, just if he just goes out there and dominates, it wouldn't shock me just based on how, you know, he also has that recent form too. We talk about how important recent form is this week. Um, 
last four starts, he has three top tens. He has a fourth at Riv this year and a fifth at Riv last year. And like we've seen, that's an indicator. So a lot of things are leading me to him. And I think he's going to be the least owned. Him and him and Colin. Yeah, because because people generally just think he can't win because of that around the green game. And I, and I would I would almost agree with that. But I just I just think that. You know, anything can happen. Like, it's like I will sit there and say Xander Schauffele won't win the Masters because he doesn't win a regular tournament. Like, he's actually one of the guys that I think I could pair with Justin Thomas to, you know, to start my lineups and give me someone really high up in the 8K range and still not have to dig in, you know, deep into the um, 6K range. So it's, it's an interesting way to do it. I mean, just as those first two guys in, Thomas and Xander Schauffele, I can still go with Shane Lowry and have three guys in the 7K range. Like, it's possible to do something like that. And I think... I think that's where you got to do. You've either got to go two in the ten, like you say, and completely skip the nines, or you know, just just the, the balance lineup. I tried to do one yesterday, and that doesn't really work because it's really hard to get enough guys that you think can win. Like if you start mm-hmm. in the you start with nine Ks as the first people, and if you really believe in Spieth, Brooks, and I don't know Zalatoris, then you can sort of do something, but not enough to to really, you know, get too excited about it. Right. Maybe maybe Holland can't win because of that around the green, but can he come in third and say Lowry wins and you have and you have both, both the guys? It's like you can't really just eliminate him just based on the fact that you think he might not be able to win. Um, and, you, and you're thinking about the eagle opportunities here as well. He's the type of person that can take advantage of those, right? And and how often does an eagle or a birdie outweigh, you know, a birdie or, you know, even a double at times? it I can't see him just getting himself into horrendous trouble where he, I think people think in their head that because he can't chip, he's just going to double bogey every day. And it's just like, he's probably not. Like, he's not that type of guy. So um, even with the weaknesses, it's, it's stopping him from making birdies or it's stopping him from making the odd par. It's not it's not always crisis when he does have those bad chips. Right. You talk about hidden form and you kind of, um, and I love hearing you talk about that because that's, that's what led us both to Neiman when we hit him at, right. at Riviera. So, if you look at at Hovland, he came in 21st last time, but he had a, he opened uh, his first hole with a seven. So when I mean, you take that away, and he's in the top ten, top you know, so like top five, um, I think he might have some hidden form. And you know, he was a top amateur here, so I think he's he's more comfortable around here than people might think. Yeah, and he was 13th, I think it was, or 15th after 54 holes last year. Like it's, I think it's 13th. So he was. He was never really he finished 21st. He was never out. He was never worse than 21st. That was his worst actual end position in the end. And yeah, I, I just think I think people are just getting too caught up in it. And, and in terms of betting, I, I don't want to do it because I don't think the price reflects the weakness as such. And that sounds ridiculous when I'm back on Justin Thomas. But I think for DFS, it's certainly a good way, especially at low ownership, uh, to go into there. So then that leaves the one um, elephant in the room in Roy McIlroy at 10k. And oh, I don't know. Like, will he pay off putting him in? I think he can. Will he win? Probably not, because he doesn't win at Augusta, right? And and I think it's it's completely mental because there's nothing really wrong with his game stopping him. Yeah, I don't know what the reason like for thinking that he's going to play well this week is. Is it because you want the storyline of the career Grand Slam? Is it because? He's played well here and at times in the past, I guess. Um, I don't know. I can't. I can only think of maybe one one time in the since 2014 where he's actually really been in true contention. Um, but yeah, and and then look at last week. I mean, how many times have you seen a guy play horrible the week before, miss the cut, and then go and win the Masters? It just seems unlikely to me. 
yeah, you're better off taking a week off, right, and and not kind of damaging yourself. I mean, what was it? I think it was uh, 2018. He was behind Patrick Reed, right? He had a kind of yeah. chance there, but he just. I think people do get too caught up in that he's like everyone sort of said like, and, and I hate dealing in certainties in golf, and maybe that's just why I don't like this. But everyone's like, he's gonna win the Masters one day, and like people go their whole careers without winning a major that you'd think would win one of the four majors. He He's not destined just to win this very one. I think he probably has enough cracks at it to, to probably do it at some point and stumble over the line because he's such a good scorer. But, um, you know, you think about the weaknesses with Hovland with his chipping and the others with his putting. Rory has been bad with his irons. Like, And the only thing that kind of pulled me away from that is when I looked at his figures at the players and the Bay Hill, his irons were actually pretty good and his putting was just terrible. So maybe if he can just marry the two together for once. But you're taking a massive chance and I'd probably rather just dip below and, and take someone in the 9k range than, than worry about Rory McIlroy. He's not going to win anything big until he figures those wedges out too. Like he gets, gets himself 125 and under and in and he just puts so it to 35 feet. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Too frustrating. So I'm, I'm off of Rory. Um, and I don't think he's going to be as much of an ownership pivot as, um, as many others. So if you look at a 10k and above, I think the least owned guys in that range are going to be, Morikawa, Scheffler, but I think Scheffler's going to push 13, 14%, which is surprising at that price. Um, and then, and then Hovland. Morikawa and Hovland are the two kind of people aren't really playing. Colin, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm not going to say I'm out on him. And look, I discounted him at the Open Championship and I paid for that, and I was wrong. But I'm doing it again. I, I, I think it's too long. Uh, his irons, like when, you know, he had a, he had a rough week in Scotland prior to the Open Championship, but at that point he was. 20 strokes better in ball striking than the second best guy for the season. He hasn't been that guy this year in terms of strokes gained approach. So, no, no, he's been he's been putting well, which is like consistently well, which is not kind of his game. And I've been there a couple of times with Colin, hoping that it's been the week the people have jumped off. I think it was at Genesis I was on him. I think times before that as well, just hasn't done it. And and I'm happy to leave him alone. And if it, if it goes wrong, Colin wins. That's great. I like Colin Morikawa, so. I'd actually like to see him in the Masters. Um, hopefully it doesn't cost me too much money if he does. But, um, you know, diving into the 9K range, obviously Cam Smith is at the top of that. He's going to be possibly the highest owned guy in the field completely. I know definitely uh, in this 9K range. Definitely in 9K, I'd say JT's uh, going to be pushing him, yeah. JT yeah. would probably be ahead of him. And then you've got Jordan Spieth there at 9,800. Xander Schauffele, 9,600. Cantlay, 95. Uh, Brooks Kevin 94. Hideki Matsuyama's obviously a bit of a health uh, scare, 9,300. Will Zadosaurus, 9,200. Bryson DeChambeau, 9,100. And Daniel Berger, 9,000. I'm going to quickly rule out Bryson, Berger, Matsuyama. Just straight off. I don't know if you, if you have a counter to that, but those three are gone for me. I completely agree with you. Um, with that being said, you want to talk a little game theory with, with Bryson. Literally nobody is playing. <laughs> nobody. No, but I, I think um, for good reason. Yeah, I think when you see someone with like carrying no ownership, that just shows that the person's either mispriced or yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Um, Hideki is just you can't trust him with the injury, and, and not to mention even if he wasn't injured, I'd probably be going away from him considering what we've seen from defending champions here too. I, I, that was the, that was exactly my point. Is that like I wouldn't be going to him if he was fully fit. Because I just think there is a real, like, you hear some of these trends and some of these things that, you know, people can't win back-to-back and people can't win at world number one. But I think the defending champion at Augusta is a real thing. Like, he is, you've got to 
host a champions dinner you've got to host you know uh, you know have several interviews you've got he's got the the whole japanese media thing to deal with that's going to be exaggerated at the masters like i, I just couldn't be on it and then you worry about the fact he's had a neck injury and keeps pulling out um yeah i, I just don't need if, if again if he contends and plays well then great he's, he pays off for people um that would be a game theory thing i think bryson's weird isn't he because i think i read somewhere that he's actually brilliant ball striking around augusta but terrible his putter which is a bit strange considering the the kind of rise he's had over the last couple of years has been putter orientated as well as his driver so if he can figure out that putting um but i just think there's too many concerns about the rest of his game so that kind of leaves spieth shoffle cantley kepka and zalatoris now brooks kepka was my second bet in um it's a major he was 20 to 1 plus and and that was kind of why i went there betting wise um he is playing better now he's 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 finishing strongly he's off the tee he's really strong um so i'm pretty confident there on brooks i've all having some in lineups but like i just said before shuffle would be a good compliment to jt for me um and then you've got to worry about what you do with jordan spieth i think it, it's it's an intriguing price i know you were on him at the match play um 10 strokes tee to green was it on sunday at texas open yeah yeah he just um, can't he just can't putt I just don't trust him, and I know he's. This is the place you play him, even when he's not playing well. And I think that little flash of form is going to get people back onto him. And I, I'm just not going to go there with Spieth. I, 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 I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm going to stay away from him. It was tough because I actually quite like him as a first round leader bet. So mm-hmm. I think it, his, what is it? I think eight starts, whatever he's had, he's been first round leader three times. So that I like. Um, just carrying over the momentum from the, the Sunday at the Valero. Um, whether I think he can do it all week, I just don't think he's playing well enough. Like I, I think that even if he's in, I think that the theory is with people is they think that if he can start fast, he'll just stay there because it's Jordan Spieth at Augusta, and I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory. So I, I think he could start fast based on last week. Are you just avoiding Cameron Smith because of the ownership? Um, yeah, and I just think I don't know, is he really going to win the players and then the Masters and the you know, right and so close to each other. And I know he played, he's played well here and I know off the tee is his weakness and that doesn't really matter here. So in theory, he's probably a really nice fit for this place. But uh, I, I call him the weasel because he always weasels his way out of trouble. He gets, he'll, he'll be behind a tree and, and, you know, and make par somehow and make a 30 foot par, but it's just, he's so frustrating when you're not on him. And he has the, he has the capability of ruining this week for everybody. Yeah. Unless you're on him. I, I I'm worried about it. Yeah. I, I, I don't subscribe to this Cameron Smith is this new best shiny toy that's really good at golf. I think he's hit a good purple patch. I think he's been red hot with a putter, but not too dissimilar to what Jordan Spieth used to be like. It was it was the most painful experience being against, against him. Great to be on him. Um, I know people talking about his improved irons. I know people have said he's picked up a bit of distance, but I don't think that would change his general tactic to Augusta as it has been. Um, I think that he could definitely contend. I mean, I, I think he could definitely win. Like, there's not, there's not anything to it. I just, I'm gonna go elsewhere because of the the ownership. Patrick Cantlay then is someone that, I guess, if the Masters was four or five weeks ago, everyone would have been on, and and all of a sudden, probably jumping off a little bit. Folks, spring is right around the corner, and you know what that means? The Masters is coming. It also means that it's time for a tidy up in your pants. 
and our friends at Manscaped have the best tools for some spring cleaning. Trust me, your confidence will be blooming like the azaleas at Augusta, and like that beautiful course in Georgia, you're going to want to feel and look your best in time to sit down and watch the biggest event of the golfing calendar. It's time to clear out that winter bush and join 4 million men who trust Manscaped. Use code LFW20 to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Manscaped are the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing Performance Package 4.0. Inside this ball care bundle, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is a pube assassin that is waterproof and equipped with an LED light, so you bet it's a major key to the new shower routine as you sit down to watch the major championship. Yeah, yeah, I I like Cantley as well. Um, he's so you look at the ownership in this in this range. It's going to be carried pretty much by Cam Smith, Xander, Brooks, and Zalatoris. Those are the guys who are going to be pushing 17, 18, 20 percent. Yeah. Um, Cantley's down in the 13, 14 percent range, which I think is pretty good considering what you said and considering the price. You know, look, he's the eighth ninth price golfer in the field maybe maybe 10th and um i think he definitely has the capability to win uh what do you think of him as a fit for augusta in general yeah i think he's fine no i, th- I think he's good like i think you know really strong t-screen game i think <sighs> he doesn't strike me as the creative type that you would need to be around augusta but mm-hmm. i think that again is a little bit narrative based He's kind of talked about it himself, saying that he can kind of play his stock shot. He knows where he can go. And I think he's very thoughtful. And I think that, you know, I always set the piss out of him because he, he kind of looks miserable and boring and all that sort of stuff. But I think he's, I think he's a pretty deep thinker, uh, more so than probably gets credit for actually thinking his way around a golf course, which you definitely need here. So, you know, he had that 64, didn't he? Uh, 2019, I think it was, where he, round three, where he kind of climbed the leaderboard and he had a 66 in round two in 2020. But... I don't know. I will play him because I think his ownership suggests you should. Um, but I won't play him because I think he can win. So he missed the cut last year here. Yeah. Are we sure he's not a West Coast guy? I mean, most of his success has come on the West Coast. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? It's, it's, it's really tough to know. And I, th- I think that you would guess that he can win anywhere. Like you have to kind of subscribe to his theory that Patrick Cantlay should be able to win anything, you know. But yeah, I mean, we see later down the line. I mean, when you look back, is that all he's done? Like, is that it's a bit like Xander with winning no cut events? Like, you yeah. do just get pigeonholed into things. And I think that is it the green surfaces? Is it the familiarity of just being in California where he's grown up? But I don't know. I also just don't get the vibe from Patrick Cantlay that he's major winning ready like there's there's been nothing so far in his career that suggests right he's he's due one do you know what i mean like i think justin thomas is due another major i think that xander shuffle is contended enough that if he could actually get a win anywhere else then he'd be good in the major championship but he had that third place finish at the 2019 pga championship which don't really remember him doing too much, which probably means he was quite far adrift, wasn't he? I think of of Brooks Koepka at Beth Bay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it was never really in contention, right? I think even even going into the last day, he was like nine shots back or something. So it's not it's not like he ever had a chance of winning that tournament. So um, that there's there's varying ways of coming 
like I think about Paul Casey at Harding Park, like he really got upsurred by like Colin Morikawa's 64. Like he had a real chance of winning that tournament and looked really good for it as well. Whereas Patrick Cantlay has not contended. Even the decent finishes here have been low rounds when other people have struggled, maybe got out early or whatever. So yeah, I, I, I do like the price and I do like the ownership angle because I think people are jumping off him too soon, but um, there wouldn't be much confidence in it. Right. He, um, so the only thing I, that I saw from him, like, you know, the BMW one that wasn't the West coast, which I, which I get when he beat, uh, Bryson and that was in Maryland. And that was, you know, a very strong field. And the, he showed like kind of, you know, that clutch putting that you need to win majors. So that's the one thing I would say he, he might've showed us that, but he hasn't really done it in a major. I want to say when tiger won, he, he kind of made that charge on the back before he fell off in the 13th, 14th. Um, so yeah, the, the price is right and the ownership is right. So I definitely can see myself playing him. But like you, I'm going to go to Brooks instead. I mean, really look at it. It's a 3% difference. Right now, Cantley's 14%. Brooks is 17%. And I really think Brooks can. And I kind of think he's going to win. And if I think that, I can't play Cantley over him. Like you said with Brooks, the form is coming around at just the right time. Um, he's been playing pretty well lately. I thought the match play, he was great. I actually... Um, so I had a future on him at 20 to one, which he's still 21. So it doesn't matter. But when I, so when I was watching the match play, I had that in mind and I was actually hoping that he would lose to Dustin Johnson there because, all right, he proved what he has to prove, beat Rahm in that stage of 16. He made it far enough. Let's get head down to Augusta and get ready for, for the masters because I think he has a great chance of winning this 21 at a major for him, um, in 9,400 to, to be able to have him as a second guy in, I think is a great way to construct a lineup too. Um, I'm all in on him. Yeah, and I think the thing is, right, the thing I love so much about Kepka is the form has just trended really nicely here. 33rd, 21st, 11th, 2nd, 7th. Miscut last year was purely health-dependent, right? He shot 74-75, but he was injured. Uh, they weren't disaster rounds. It wasn't 80s or anything like that. You know, when he was 7th uh, two years ago, it was, you know, not the Augusta that we're kind of used to. So the last real Augusta that we're, we're really used to he was first after rounds one and two, uh, shot 69 on Saturday and fell three spots, and then shot a 70 on the final round and climbed two spots. So it's, it's really interesting to see what Brooks does here. I think he's he's kind of that really low round, maybe a couple of 66s in one week to, to really push himself clear. But you, you just know, I just trust him if he gets in front. Like that, mm-hmm. that's the, and, and, and I kind of went against that a little bit when he lost out to Mickelson at the PGA. Like he was kind of disappointing there. And even at the PGA the year before at Harding Park, he kind of didn't step forward when I expected him to. So there's maybe a little bit element of that, but he just seems a bit more focused now. He seems to be playing well where you expect him to play well in those kind of Valspars and Hondas that, you know, we, we play him at in terms of, of hoping that, you know, there's a bit of low ownership or he's too expensive or whatever. Um, it's ridiculous because he's been 21 for regular events and now he's 21 for the major but I think it was so telling that that the books were going out to 30 to ones for the US Open for the PGA for the you know for anything else later on in the year because they were still so far away but they weren't willing to take the chance so soon with the Masters coming around and I think that's a really good indicator that he's playing well so um, I like Bruce Kepka there a lot and then Will Zalatoris is my next bet Okay, you bet. Well, I, I, I'm, I don't like Zelatoris. I think last year it was just so putting based, and that was so out of the ordinary for him. And he seemed like he really was just putting it so well, and that's kind of what sprung him into contention. I don't know, you know, he's a great ball striker, but I just think lightning might not strike twice. And if you look at kind of the winners of the 
Masters, and we talked about how they struggle the next year. If you look at the whole top five, top ten of the Masters, they all matter. struggle the next year. Yeah, yeah, and that was and that was the the one negative, right? And that, I, I said in my article that I stared at him for so long because it's so hard to think that someone can follow that back up. And it's exactly to the point you just made there, which is a great point that it isn't just the winners, the defending champions. It is you just don't see people just rack up top fives. I mean, that's what makes what John Rahm and Dustin Johnson have done here in the past so extraordinary uh, in recent years. Even Tony Finau to an extent, like just consistently going inside the top ten. So um, yeah, I, there is that to it. The other thing I sort of liked is that he's got that kind of second in a major that I liked. Um, and it was in good fashion as well. I think he, he really... I think I spoke about the fact that it was him, Xander, Mark Leishman, and I forget the other one who was in that list of guys that were... Um, who's the other guy? But there, there was three of them that were that were in third place, or second place behind um, Matsuyama. And it was him that emerged from that. Justin Rose. So it was, it was Leishman, Rose, and Xander Schauffele have all been in second place behind Hideki Matsuyama, and it was Zadatoris that took the real step forward. Um, and I really like that. He's got a sixth and eighth in other majors as well. Like I, I just think he's... Again, it seems ridiculous to think that a first win can come at the Masters, let alone a major full stop. But I just think he can win anywhere. So that's that's plenty enough for me on Zadatoris. We'll go a little bit quicker rather than player by player for the rest of the prices. So... Uh, I spoke a little bit about Shane Lowry earlier uh, and talking about kind of maybe course form not mattering as much as course experience. Like he's into what is sixth, sixth effort at Augusta now, maybe fifth. Um, and I think that's quite telling. I think that he's playing so well. I know we've sort of spoke about him positively for, for quite a while now, but I think he can probably put in a career best performance at Augusta. Yeah, I was actually able to get an 80 to one on him, which I bet. Um, and I don't know if I really can picture him winning, but the way he's been playing lately, his form is just, is just unbelievable. And like you said, he has that previous major experience that you definitely need to have here. Uh, and then plus the course experience. Now he's gotten that sixth time, like you talked about, and he's just been playing so well lately. And if you kind of compare that form that he's in now to the form that he was in at the open championship, when he won, it's very similar. He, he's a guy who will tell you it's coming. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's telling you something is coming. And is it going to be this? I don't know, but um, and I also, I also think that 8,800, it's a bit pricey for him in this field. And I think that might limit his ownership, even considering a lot of people are going to be seeing him in the models and all that stuff that you need to play a guy. So I will probably be playing him, but it, it is pricey. What I like about him is that, one, the little bit of what you said there, that it could put people off. You've got Louis there at 8,900 that people know all about Augusta and, and will probably be keen to jump on regardless of or whether they think he can win or not. Um, you know, you've, you've got other guys here that are really popular in terms of um, Sam Burns, Taylor Gooch, maybe not so at this uh, event, but Sung Im, Adam Scott, Tiger, obviously. Um, people are going to just jump on the casuals there. But um, Shane Larry, first, second, and a fourth in a majors. He's got, he's got top nine in every major, like two top eights at the PGA Championship, a second at the US Open, and a ninth. A first and a ninth for the Open Championship. Like it's just, it's just a really steady uh, run of form. The only one he hasn't got the top ten in is, is here at Augusta, and I just think that a top ten is well within his grasp. The way he's been playing, he shot. I think he was second after round run in 2016, so he, he kind of tasted the first round of leaderboard, even if he's not stayed there. I think he played with Tiger uh, one year as well, and talked about the experience of that, and probably got locked into that more than he did his actual own game. Um, yeah, I just think, like you say. Shane Larry telegraphs Foreman 
8,800, you've got a decision to make, and, and I quite like it. If you look at his approach, the last three starts, 6.8, 3.9, 4.5. And you know, we talk about Augusta being a second second shot golf course. You're going to hear that a lot this week, but it's true. Uh, and he, his approach game is on fire right now. So I think he'll be around for sure. Yeah, I like it. Um, the next guy I want to talk about is Adam Scott. I think that Adam Scott is putting better now, um, which is you know a surprise maybe. And I still think he's probably open to uh, a bad putt at Augusta because of you know the technique that he employs but he's just so steady around here like you look at the last 15 years he's missed one cut and he's played in all those 15 years as well like it's not like he's taken weeks off like he's played in every single one of them i know obviously he had a second and eighth before he won and he's only had one top 10 finish since but you know i, I can just see adam scott with that kind of new putting stroke and hopefully he's kind of uh, ball striking comes back to the four. I think it was 2019. He was first after 36 holes and then just kind of tailed off. So um, I think Scott's worth a worth an entry. Yeah, I, I bet him as well at 80 to one a long time ago, um, and I I really like that now. Uh, a little concerning, kind of the way he finishes some of these some of these events. Um, but at at 8300, you don't need him to actually win. You need him to finish in the top 10, which I think he is definitely um, able to do. You know, for me, I do want to play him. It came down to him and Neiman for me, both at the similar price. I think Neiman has uh, that kind of skill set you want here. He has the Riviera form, I think. But it's looking like he's gaining a lot of steam right now. I'm seeing Neiman at 15% and Scott at 12 I thought Neiman was going to be the, the pivot play off of Scott, so I'm just going to stick with Scott instead. Yeah, I think Neiman's getting a lot of talk now, which is weird considering when we go back to that kind of genesis where we put him up, he... He did in the end, but retrospectively, it looked like quite a lot of people were on him, but it felt like he was kind of being missed out based on his price and overlooked a little bit. And then all of a sudden, like, he comes to Augusta and he's really, really popular. And I think, you know, I get it. Like, I know why I backed him for Riviera. So it's it's, it's not a surprise to me that people want to bet him. But like you say, if I've, if I've got to make a choice out of him or a lower-owned Adam Scott, it's going to be Adam Scott every time, especially Augusta, because I think experience counts for, for an awful lot. Um we're going to talk about Tiger quickly, right? We are going to talk about Tiger. That was where I was going to go. <laughs> what are we going to do? Like, I mean, you, you can't play him, can you? Well, right now, I know you can always kind of bank on an additional ownership than what, what you see on, you know, these projections. But I'm seeing 4% right now. I think anyone who takes this seriously, and like I play in the 200, 100 single. Are people going to throw him in the $5 lineup? Yeah. But are serious players who play in, you know, bigger tournaments, single entries aren't going to play him. Uh, and okay, here's the thing, how I feel about Tiger. He's playing because he thinks he can contend. And is that delusional on his part? Maybe. Do I think he can win? No, but I do think he's going to make the cut and I can see him finishing in the top 25, um, because I don't think he would do go through all of this if he, if he wasn't going to. So, but at 8,500, it's not like the top 25 is going to give you what you need it to give you. So. I'm probably not going to play him. I don't have the I don't have the balls to play him, but I, uh, it wouldn't shock me if he played all right. So I I think that there's everyone's kind of saying that he wouldn't turn up if he couldn't compete, and that's always been the thing about Tiger Woods. He's only going to play if he can compete. Did he compete in the last Masters that he played in? He was kind of what 38th, 40th, and this guy can't walk. Like he's literally having to change his shoes during every practice round and warm-up session just to make sure he can walk. Like he hasn't even got Nike shoes because they don't fit his foot. Like 
He was 12th in the world when he won here. Like Everyone considered that a miracle when he won that 2019 Masters. What the hell is this then? If, if that was a miracle, this is... I mean, this is almost biblical, right? And I think that... I don't know. Like, uh, I can see him making the cut. And, and purely because it's the easiest cut to make in a major. And that's not to say that Tiger needs it easy. I think he could make the cut easily. I think he could be six under through two rounds, I think. But I just think the endurance, I think everything else would just lead to him finishing 40th and he's if he was 7500 i think you've got a massive choice in your hands and all of a sudden the ownership takes over but 8500 just makes it very very easy for me to leave alone yeah like you said would it be a miracle if tiger woods wins this week it's just proof that we're living in a simulation right if tiger woods wins this week i don't know if i can continue talking about golf because it just means i know nothing like I just, everything about this just makes me think that Tiger Woods can't win. I, I want someone to chop that up because I'd love to see it. Like I was tearful when he won the 2019 Masters. I loved it. Like probably my favourite moment in golf as as a younger fan. But it's it's just lightning doesn't strike twice. I don't think. And and this is much harder than it was the time before. Teddy Gooch and Sam Burns. Just anything on those? Um. I'm not going to tell you what I'd rather do than play Gooch at 8,700, um, <laughs> but it, a lot of things. Uh, I'm not going to play him. He's looking like 5%. Yeah, cool. I, I don't play Gooch when he's 8,700 at the RSM Classic. I'm not going to play him at 8,700 here. Um, and Burns, he's carrying a lot of ownership, and no thank you. I think if he was low-owned because he was a debutant, right, and people thought he couldn't win, that would be great. But he's popular because everyone thinks he's going to be the debutant that plays well. And Everyone that... loves Burns. Yeah, and, and I do get it. Like, I think he's prototypically a good player, but I think that there's players in the 7K range that are making their first start that could actually just have as good enough week. So Tony Finau will be a sucker for. I'll get him in there at some point. Um, ball striking's okay. I'm off, Tony. I'm not excited about it. Like I just right. do it because I hate pain. But um, Tyrrell Hatton's <laughs> the last man in the 8K range. Um, he's carrying some ownership. Uh I don't like him. I don't think he's a fit at this at this play. I don't. I don't like it. No, I hate Sarah Hatton. He's yeah. getting some. He's getting some chatter again because he's playing well and he's a decent price. And people were subscribing to the theory that I said about Lowry, where you know he's played here a few times and he can just suddenly play well. I'd rather just play Lowry. I'll t- I'll, I'll pay up and, and get Lowry and just you know skip into the seven K ranges. I um, love the seven Ks. Yeah, I do. So Abraham answer. I'm a no. Nope. Good. Sergio. <laughs> you know me. I'm a yes. Okay, and I'll, let me tell you why. He's he's a little overpriced concerning the guys around him. Okay, and I'm seeing three percent ownership right now. He's which maybe it's for a reason, and maybe I'm a sucker, which I am because I play Sergio all the time. I played him <laughs> at I played him at every single major, and he's missed the cut in like twelve straight majors. So, so that shows that, which is definitely a concern. Um, but I liked what I saw at the match play from him. And I still think, you know, he's not as good as he once was, but he's as good once as he ever was. He still has that one in him. And I I think you look at this place, we've had 17, 18 two-time winners of the event. I'm not saying I really think he's going to win, but why can't he play well here anymore? Like, he's so perfect. He hits the ball along and straight. Talk about apex height that a lot of people talk about for this place. Ranks ninth on tour in that. Um, he's been putting very well lately. The irons are a bit off, but I'm going to give it a shot. 
it's it's the fact that he's missed three straight cuts since he's won, right? Like that's all it is. Like people just don't think he can play in major championships anymore. And and, and to be honest, the, the the numbers back that up. But he was great at the players. Like I know players mm. isn't a major, but it's a major field, right? It is it's the strongest field all season. Um, and he was better than that twenty odd place finish. Like he was excellent. So, um, I want to do it. Maybe I'll just put. It, Maybe I'll just put him in that same lineup as Fee now, so it's just the all pain lineup. Um, but it's a good pivot, off of, a great pivot off of Russell Henley, who's going to be very popular. Yes, yeah, and Fitz is going to be very popular. And I like Fitz a lot too. I, uh, you know, I talked to you earlier. If you think he can win, I, I, it's a good question. I don't. He probably can't win, but I can really see him finishing in the top five. I wrote him as, up as a top five pick. I can see him playing very, very well. He's in quietly. Some of the best form of his career in terms of PGA Tour. Probably Not, is I know the best. He's, yeah, in terms of PGA, 100% is the best. He's he's been so steady, so consistent. Uh, four top tens his last five starts. Looked great in match play. He just kind of ran into that buzzsaw. Great off the tee, par five scoring. Uh, he does kind of what you want him to do here. I'm gonna probably eat the chalk and play play Fitz. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. I think he can contend. I think he's he's got the game to be the guy that goes against the grain and finishes in the top 10 in terms of style, right? Like, he's not a bomber, so... But he's got that lovely touch around and on the greens that I just... And he's played well in the Masters before. Like, he played that well year when uh, when Willett won. Um, and, and he's, you know, he's got good mentors. He's got, you know, Billy Foster. He's got... He probably would have played with Westwood. I don't know if he still plays with him after all the stuff that's come out. But, um, you know, that's the sort of people that I think he can bounce off of. Tommy Fleetwood, I'm a no. I don't know about you. I mean, yes. You're a yes. Okay. Uh, um, I, I love the 7K range. 7,600 and above, I'm playing pretty much everybody. So that's kind of why I'm going to go double stack up top above you know, the 10 range and then skip right down to those sevens, not much eight. Um, but Tommy's playing great. I mean, last three starts, 20th, 22nd, 16th, was the only guy to beat Scotty Sheffer at the match play. Um, he's been pretty good around here in... Uh, not great, but not bad. He's been he's been solid, and I think he's coming in some really good form. And I also he fits that trend of guys you're looking for that have contended in a major before. He's contended in two majors, and he's been right in the thick of it. Yeah, and I think the thing is as well is that he's got that really bad record at the start of the week, and then plays well over the weekend or vice versa. I'm pretty sure it's that he plays well at the weekends, right? And you know that can very quickly switch around. Like he's got two 66s here in the past. Um, He's showing good stuff. He's playing well. I I just have a hard time seeing Tommy Fleetwood win the Masters because I think there's too much putting involved. I think there's too much. Like, we talk about Will Zadatorius being a great lag putter. Fleetwood isn't... I don't think he's a good short putter either. So you kind of have to get him hot. And um, that worries me. Let me put it this way right here. He's looking at 8%. Connor's looking at 16%. They're right around the same price. Does Connors have a double the chance of Fleetwood of playing well this week? Doesn't have to win. No, no, they're, they're both gonna. They're both capable of outpaying their their own their value, right? And I really like Corey Connors, so it's hard. It's hard to go against him, but it make I can understand the theory behind that. What is Paul Casey coming to that? I'm seeing ten percent. Um, so there's with, not as much scared. There's not as much fear about his injury than than you'd hope, right? You would. You would. You know, I'm kind of on the fence. I think it's right in the middle because if you think about Paul Casey at a major at 7,600. I think 10% kind of is a bit of a discount yeah. than what you'd expect. I mean, I could see if he was in great form and he was at 8,300, people would be playing him. 
Um, sorry, not good form. No injury help because he is yeah. in good form. Yeah, if yeah. you look at what he's doing, I, I'm going to play him. I am. Yeah, I've bet him. I'm going to play him. I'm just going to hope that, you know, it was back spasms. It wasn't a back injury. I think he probably rested him, so it didn't turn into anything more sinister. And I'm just going to hope that's a good play. Um, Webb Simpson's still an injury threat, I think, so I'm going to skip him. I'm going to play Justin Rose. That's just what I do. I'm assuming you're probably going to play him as well, uh, knowing the conversations we've had in the past. Yeah, I like Rose. I think, I mean, considering his course history, he's he's been excellent here. He's going to be pretty much under-owned, 7, 6, 7% I'm seeing. Um, he's been horrible. He's been absolutely horrible. There's really no denying that. But in terms of statistically, he's been very bad. Um, but I'm trying to see, what has he done? It's not like when he came to the Masters the last couple of times, he's really been playing all no. that well either. No, he, he was a surprise when he was a first-round leader last year, right? And he was four strokes clear of the field like he just plays the masters great that's just what he does he i think he's three or four first round leads in his career here i think he had three in a row um he just he just gets off to a fast start makes the cut and either he plays well at the weekend or he doesn't like that's just what justin rose does and i think if he gets in the hunt i think he knows his his window is dwindling a little bit and and probably gives it a go i mean i'm a sucker for justin rose at the masters i'd probably have paid him at 10k not so long ago so uh seven five hundred I'll, I'll just take it I'm out on Horschel, out on Reed, uh, out on Kokrak, which leaves those rest of those guys there in a seven K range. I gotta ask real quick, what price did you bet on um, on Rose there? Oh, I haven't yet. I haven't. Oh, okay, haven't. Um, I, he should be eighty plus, right? Yeah, yeah. He's okay. he's not long enough to bet, but, I, yeah, but yeah. I, I have bet him here at sixteen to one in the past. Got it, got it. Um, Leishman looks somewhat popular. Uh, no one's playing Kokrak. A lot of people playing Siwoo. A lot of people playing Homa. A lot of people playing Bobby Mack. I think they make sense. I think they all make sense. I'm going to play Bubba, hoping that he's not as popular as he probably should be at Augusta. Um, not at all. Which is great for me. I think that's fine. I think there is a concern he hasn't got his caddy, but that's okay. Um, McIntyre and Siwoo Kim have high ownership for good reason. I'm surprised Homer's so popular, considering his bad record at Augusta and um majors in general um but i think he's the type that can actually find a performance all of a sudden at this golf course yeah and i i need to ask you i know you, you said there's a concern of him losing his caddy for augusta but is there a cons are you concerned that he just might stink at golf now <laughs> <laughs> no bubba's great bubba's fine at golf he is he is absolutely fine so he's yeah i mean just lately i mean in bad form is what i'm saying in a, in a funny way but you know I would expect him to play better. Genesis is one of his courses. He misses yeah. the cut there. Um, I'm, I'm concerned because I really want to go there at 7,300. I mean, you think about Bubba Watson at the Masters and you're getting a huge discount off of guys like Siwoo Kim, Max Homa, and Robert McIntyre. I mean, that should be a pound spot, but I'm just a little bit concerned about him. I just think he's a type like Rose that can just play here just well out of nowhere. Um, and I'm just going to bet it happens. So... Um, I'm going to play him for that that kind of not a lot. Like, I'm not going to be heavily invested in him. I'm not going to be like overweight on him or anything like that. But I will put him in some lineups because I think it's worth doing. Um, all those guys we mentioned just now on, in McIntyre, see we can. I think they've all got great chances. Cameron Young is going to be very popular. I think at 7K, although maybe not quite as popular as he would have been if he was in that kind of 6K range. But it's him and Luke Liss, and I'd rather have Cameron Young at 7K. Yeah, I'm not going to play either of them. I have a little trouble in. I'll say this. It hurt me last week. I had J.J. Spawn in my big lineup last week, and I saw 6,900, and he was 
13, 14% owned. I said, screw that. I'm not going to do it. And that's usually how I, how, how I do things. Works out more often than not, but there's going to be a time every once in a while, like last week when it comes to bite you in the ass and it did it to me. But um, this week, I have a hard time. Siwoo, 13%. Homa, 10%. McIntyre, 11.3%. Young, 11 It's just, it's so high for that price. It's because people are so scared to dip into this 6K range, right? And and I, and I get why. Um, everyone kind of talks about trying to end your lineups with 7K guys now. Um, but let's just let's rattle through some guys we like in the 6K. So it should be a pretty short conversation because I haven't got too many that I do like. But I'll play Lee Westwood. I'll play Brian Harmon. I'll definitely play Kevin Nahr. Um That's probably it. Maybe Stuart Sink at 6,400. Uh on Westwood, no one's playing him at all, uh, which I always like playing him. Because everyone hates him. That's yeah, right. everyone hates him. I like him. So I'm, I'm probably going to play him. He hasn't been playing very well, but I still think he can uh, get it done around here. He likes the place. He usually plays well here. Um, 1%. I mean, Cameron Young at 11% or Lee Westwood at 1%. And then Harmon's getting a little bit, probably the chalkiest guy down in this range. Um, I'll probably avoid him nah, up there. One guy I was looking at is Seabez, and – I know you and I don't like Sebez and don't play him often, but those other times he's 8,700 and you need him to win. Isn't this what we want out of him? He's 6,700. Just make the cut, finish in 27th place. So I think I think that's the theory that a couple of things I've heard that people are rooting for him to do, right? That they'll, they'll just get him as their last guy in that can make the cut. And like 38th and 40th, like he was in danger of missing those cuts. Like, yeah. It's. I mean, he was fourth after round one last year, so it's not like he's he can't knock it round here. Sixty nine on the first day, eighteenth on on course debut. So, yeah, I mean, at a lower ownership spot over over Harmon and Kevin Nara would definitely take Bezuin out. But um, yeah, it, it won't be for any other reason other than I think he can make a cut and he'd be my last guy. Um, one other guy that I liked and I was thinking about playing was EVR. Yeah, I think EVR at majors and, and, and any kind of test like this, right, is going to be someone that picks up a bit of steam. Um, I'd actually probably give Tom Hokey a little bit of a chance in, in that spot. But, yeah, I, I just don't feel confident, right? And I think this is why the, the ownership's so high. I'm, I'm interested in Stuart Sink. He's playing a little bit better now. Um, has a decent record here, considering, you know, who he is and, and what he's done. He's had that seventh place finish at the Vows Bar. He was, no, not good before that, but was okay at the start of the phoenix and i just think that that little bit of added distance you know later on in his career has a not a, you know not an extensive bank of form here but a good amount of experience and just looking at the last 15 years 17th third 14th 25th 12th 12th was the most recent like he could just he could just do it like he could he could be the guy that you know, I just spoke about those guys off the top that just finished. Like, we're talking about Bernard Langer finishing in the top eight in 2014. Like, that's something <laughs> Stuart Sink can do, right? That's just what I think he can do. Soren Kjeldsen finished seventh in 2016. That, that's just what I can envision um, Stuart Sink doing. I think it's not like a, I think whereas Lee Westwood, I think you could see him finishing fifth and actually contending for three rounds before tailing off. I just think Stuart Sink can gradually just shoot four 71s and find himself in the top 15 and that would be the one I'd do it. But other than that, I just have no faith in anyone down here. And he's 6,400, which actually opens up a lot of stuff. Right? Right. Like, I don't I don't think, you know, a, a guy like Hoagie or Sebez or 
you know, Harmon or whatever has that much of a better chance of, of outperforming Sink, and you get to, you know, six $700 in this slate is a lot. My, my favorite thing of, of the whole tournament is the fact that Takumi Kanaira is 6,000 and Sandy Lyle, Larry Mize, Fred Kuffel and Bernard Langer are all 6,100. And Jose Maria Olafarbal, who I don't think can actually... You were talking about uh, Ty Woods not being able to walk. I don't think he can actually physically walk. So uh, Mike Weir is 6,200. So, so Kanaya is the, the same amount of value as like an 80-year-old guy. Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that, that is... That's it. He's he's apparently that bad at golf that he's he's in the I can't even make a senior tour cut, um, which is just not true, right? Like he he played okay in a couple of matches last week and 25th at the start of the year. I, I don't expect him to actually do anything, and he probably will miss the cut. But it just makes me laugh that he's actually in that spot. And I think he actually made the cut on his only start here. So yeah, young fit player, top 50 in the world, but he's the same as Larry Mize. Yeah, it's just actually, it's just hundred dollars cheaper actually. Yeah, exactly that. He's Would you play him? No, but okay. but but I think it's funny. Like, imagine putting Kanaya and Sink in in your team and seeing what you can do with the rest of it. Oh, you could you could do something with it. I mean, in, in, you never know what could happen here. I think like Patty Harrington, he's sixty two hundred. He could, he was what fourth at the PGA last year. He's the type that will defy the odds. Like he's the guy that will just. The only thing I just I'd never remember. Put I know he's had some decent finishes, but I never remember Harrington being a big factor here in the past not like a, a westwood or someone like that like i don't see him being someone that would just hang around he's got three top eight finishes here in the last 15 years he has, but he hasn't played it for six years so that concerns me a little bit it's probably changed a lot since he last played here right so let's wrap it up let's go with our best plays in each range here your guy above the 10k i'm gonna go i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna say two here because that's kind of how i'm gonna construct and yeah uh, I like I like Raman Hovland, and I think Hovland has more of like a pivot type play. Yeah, I'm going with Justin Thomas. He's he's the guy I think is going to win. Nine uh, K range. Um, Kepka. Yes, I'm same as Kepka as well. I do think I do like the the Shuffle Thomas uh, tandem to start, but I, I do obviously clearly like Kepka as well. Eight uh, K range for you. Um, I do like Lowry, but c- considering I'm I'm heavy at the top, I'm going to dip down to the lower end here and take Adam Scott. Yeah, I'm going to take Lowry in that spot. 7K range you love, so you've got a tough decision to pick one out of here. I love them all. I'm going to go Sergio because he's 3% owned, and <laughs> I'm the only guy who's going to say it. So don't forget it if he plays well. And if he does, if he sucks, forget I said it. Yeah, I, I'm going to do the same sort of thing, and I'm going to take Bubba Watson in the hope okay. that he reignites that little flame with Augusta. Um, 6K range. Uh, um, I originally had um evr i know sinks your guy here i'm gonna steal that and play him but for the sake of the show i'm gonna do evr uh you could have had sink i'm gonna go one percent lee westwood oh is he 6900 okay i like that too yeah so matt i think that is a great little summary there of the masters i think we've deep dived into pretty much every range except for 6k because i don't think there's too much to talk about um Big week. Just give us a shout out where your your content's going to be this week, so that everyone can kind of follow on from that. Yeah. So follow me at uh, Matt Vincenzi PGA. I have going to have stuff up on Golf WRX and Action Network and Fantasy Labs. My Fantasy Labs piece is already out. I'm um, just kind of the stats that we're looking at for uh, the Masters, and my betting piece will be out tomorrow for uh, the Action Network and Golf Bet. Thanks. Lovely. Excellent. Everything I do this week is going to be on Odds Checker. So. 
everything literally everything i do now is going to be an odd check that's literally where i work now so um all the best everybody enjoy the masters this week and matt i will catch up with you next week all right congrats on the new gig thank you buddy